Hi, and welcome to this episode of Plastic Surgery Weekly. I'm your host, Clint Evans. My special guest today is Dr. Matthew Schulman. How are you doing, Dr. Schulman? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing excellent here today. And before we get into some of the deep dive details and insights that you're going to share with us today, tell me a little about your background and your practice. Well, I am a board-certified plastic surgeon in practice in New York City. Um, I did all my training in general surgery and plastic surgery at the Mount Sinai Hospital in Manhattan. So I've been in New York City, and I have a 100% cosmetic practice. So all I do is is elective cosmetic surgery, and I, I really specialize in breast and body work. Okay, gotcha. So that's the... Uh obviously the practice and the procedures that attracted you um, once you were into practice. But before that, what was it either during your childhood or during schooling that attracted you to the plastic surgery field or what made you decide that becoming a plastic surgeon was your calling? You know, I, I always wanted to be a surgeon. So that kind of started me along that, that path and then as I became exposed to different areas of surgery, plastic surgery just sort of jumped, jumped out at me. You know, it sounds very cliche, but yes, I was artistic. Yes, I, could, I draw well. I can paint, you know, all that sort of stuff. But I think it's really true that, that plastic surgery really, really marries the medicine and the art. And, you know, as you know, every, every plastic surgery procedure is different. So no two breast augmentations, no two breast reductions are exactly the same. So we often have to kind of figure out what we're doing as we're doing it. And, and that kind of ability to, to, um, to just kind of think on your feet is, is really what I like. And the other thing, which I think a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of non-medical aspects of plastic surgery that are really important. We have to deal with the psychosocial issues of our, of our patients. So it's not just about the medicine and the surgeries. It's really about everything else that comes along with it. Yeah, I would, uh, talking in a, a separate episode, but you bring up that point about the psychosocial issues. And I don't know if you've ever read Maxwell Maltz's book, Psycho-Cybernetics. No, I haven't. Well, he, he mentioned a case study in there where a surgeon did, I think it was a facelift, on this patient and she was pretty attractive beforehand and just absolutely gorgeous afterwards and she looked in the mirror and just didn't see the beauty that everyone else saw she was still attached to that old identity so like you said dealing with those type of issues getting into the identity and and matching expectations is a big piece of it in the overall picture and uh, satisfaction of these various procedures yeah absolutely so uh, the other thing that jumped to my mind, you said you always wanted to be a surgeon. So no baseball player or astronaut when you were six years old, you're like, I'm going to be a surgeon? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think, I, I think that surgery was, as far back as I can re- remember, um, was definitely an interest. I mean, I was probably a realist, and I knew that you know, I wasn't going to be in the NFL, and I wasn't going to be an astronaut. So, okay. you know, I... <laughs> You know, I, with, with Jewish parents, they told me I can be any type of doctor or any type of lawyer I wanted to be. <laughs> gotcha. You sound like a New York guy, so I figured you might want to play for the Yankees but, uh, <laughs> or, or the Jets. You mentioned football. Yes, so. yes. Uh, but, yeah, that's funny how parents are like, no, you're part of this group in this community, so doctor or lawyer. Um, now let's talk about the next topic of how influential social media has been on plastic surgery? 
Yeah, I mean, social media is is everywhere, and you know, between Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're immersed in it. So, you know, I think that social media has a huge influence on not just plastic surgery but everything in life. So, so now we're totally connected to other people. So there's no there's no keeping things secret anymore. So we know what everybody's doing, and when it comes to plastic surgery, I found that at least in the past four or five years. It's almost take help take that taboo aspect of plastic surgery away. You know, 15 years ago when reality television hit, that sort of was a first way that we brought plastic surgery to the people, so they were exposed to it. But I don't think it really broke through yet. But now as social media, you know, everybody's talking about what they're doing on on Twitter or Instagram, and we've also become a much more visual society. Everything's pictures. I mean, Instagram is all pictures. So, you know, we're focused on what we look like or other people look look like more so than ever before. I mean, look at this selfie craze. Everyone's taking pictures of themselves. You see it walking down the street. You know, people people have selfie sticks. So, <laughs> you know, these pictures. I saw that Kickstarter. Like, yeah. So, so people are taking pictures of themselves. Those pictures are going up on social media. And as you know, those pictures live forever. So they will come up in Google searches and they're, they live forever on the internet, good or bad. So, you know, everybody's trying to make themselves look better, um, because of, because of this. And I, you know, I think it's, it's a very, it's a very recent, recent phenomena within, you know, plastic surgery. Yeah. And I see it as increasing the amount of patient uh, base out there because it's not just celebrities that are on movies and TV or um, even radio anymore. Radio personalities now have to show their faces on websites, but even more people that are YouTube or desire that internet celebrity and maybe that higher level now are having more of an emphasis and seeing the need for that plastic surgery more than ever before. Yeah, I I agree 100%. I mean, years ago, my celebrity patients would come in and they'd say, "Um, you know, everything's high definition, so we need to get rid of these wrinkles or I need to lose, you know, this little pooch, you know, helped me out with liposuction. And that was when high definition cameras came, but that still only applied to the celebrities or the people that made a living on camera. Now it's everybody because you could just be a regular person or a, you know, a regular teenager, college student. And it's because you're all over social media. It's like you are living your life on camera for people. For sure. And as we talk social media, obviously there's a lot of appeal in all age brackets, but it really started, and there's a heavy concentration with teens and um, people in their early 20s. We've also seen a lot of talk on some of the media outlets about teens receiving plastic surgery lately. Tell me about how specifically social media may be the driving factor behind teens wanting plastic surgery. Well, I think predominantly the people who are most active and most involved in social media is that that demographic, that 25-year-old or younger. So you have people 16 to 25 who all they do all day long is is post pictures on social media or look at other people's pictures on social media. So, so I think that naturally those are the people that are going to be drawn to plastic surgery, but also we have the celebrity aspect of it as well. So you have people like Kylie Jenner who – you know, as starting when she was 16, she's, she's 18 now, but starting when she was 16, there were all these pictures that she was posting and people were, 
were questioning, did she get plastic surgery? Did she get her lips injected? Did she get her breast done? Did she get liposuction and a butt augmentation? So these, these young celebrities have young fans, and I think that's what's driving people. So I get a lot of requests now for, for lip augmentations in teenage girls that I never got before. I mean, it's three years ago, I never had a 16 or 17-year-old girl request to have her lips plumped up. But now we're seeing it a lot. I see it, you know, 10 to 15 times a week. Somebody's contacting the office to get it done. Now, it doesn't mean that I do it 10 to 15 times a week because that's a whole other issue. You know, there's a lot of things involved in, in doing a medical, you know, an elective cosmetic medical procedure on a minor. So there has to be the right situation, the right circumstance, and mom and dad need to be involved. So not everybody is a candidate, but we get a lot of requests. Yeah, certainly the parents have to sign off on the consent forms and all of that. Um, but that's interesting. You mentioned the the Jenner and the Kardashians. I wonder how much of that speculation about the breast, butt, and lips was either their their strategy or their PR company strategy to get people uh, more people talking about those photos. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's hard to know. I mean, I've I've commented on a lot of her pictures for some of the weekly magazines and. There are some pretty dramatic changes, so I think that's—I think there's definitely been some stuff done. Now, most celebrities would try to keep that under wraps, but I think the whole Kardashian-Jenner crew has built their reputation on on kind of non um, non traditional ways. So I think that I think you're right that that if people are talking and speculating about what they had done, that's all good press for them, and that helps build their brand. Yeah. And they've been very revealing and open um, with what they're doing. I think it's a big part of their brand, too. So that would be uh, in line with what they're looking to create for their brand to at least have that speculation, not deny it, and maybe at some point uh, outright confirm that those things were done. I mean, the one other thing, too, I should mention about social media is is we're seeing people requesting – procedures that are very different than they used to request years ago. And I think that has to do with social media as well, because we're exposed to a lot of different people with a lot of different body shapes and, 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 um, and what they find attractive. So specifically I do a lot of butt, butt augmentations. So Brazilian butt lifts. So curves are in. And I think that has to do partly because if you look on Instagram, all you see is curvy women, um, you know, tiny waist, round hips, round butt. And these are things that before we were able to see pictures of people, of women from around the world, you know, we may have only been exposed to one specific group of women and one specific body type. So I think that the, the procedures people are requesting is very different now than it was uh, even just a few years ago. So, yeah, when you're saying round hips, you're talking about flaring out uh, laterally and then the butt more flaring out toward the posterior right like so so we're seeing we're seeing requests for more projection of the butt so the butt that sticks out more and then more hips to give them that hourglass curve and just like you know you know much like everything now it goes back to the kardashians i think that (laughs) i think that kim kardashian was part of that early early movement i mean years ago was j-lo remember everyone talked about j-lo's butt yeah um you know looking back j-lo's butt's not so big anymore huh (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know, ten years ago it was big, but but now you know J Lo, Sofia Vergara, Kim Kardashian. I mean, these are the people that 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 
young girls are coming in and requesting to look like. And yeah, it goes throughout, I think you touched on the point, throughout history, how the aesthetics and what we desire as humans is beautiful has changed. Back in the Middle Ages, it was if you were plump, if you had somewhat of a fat face and overall fatness about you, you were wealthy, you could afford more food, so that was more desirable. And it seems like every few decades or century or so, the trends shift, and now super thin is, uh, what was that, in the 70s was kind of the aesthetic beauty, and then now, like you're saying, the trend is more towards that, that plumpness. Um, what do you see, and maybe we're not supposed to talk about this on the air at all, but in terms of like cultural or racial group, do you see some of those demographic trends that certain cultures and women from those cultures want the bigger butts, or is it across the board? Well, you know, I think that I think the easy answer is that it, it the the body shapes that people desire do follow cultural or or ethnic um, ethnic line. So my Latina patients, my African American patients, they want curves. They want yes. big butt, big hips, little waist. So that's that's sort of the way it's been. But what what's interesting is that things are getting blurred. And I'm having, you know, I'm having, you know, 45 year old soccer moms come in who want to have their butt made larger. So these are, you know, these are these Caucasian are Caucasian women. Yeah, Caucasian women that that traditionally were asking to be made smaller are now coming in and wanting curves. So I think that, I think that, yes, it stems from, you know, my Latina population, my African-American population, but it's really crossing over. So it's, it's starting to, to affect all demographics. That is interesting. And, and one disruption that, that leads right into our next topic in the modern world we live in with the internet, with technology, the spread of ideas and the ability to collaborate and bring ideas into reality, there's less friction than ever before, which is creating tons of disruptions in almost every industry. What do you see as a big threat or disruption to plastic surgeons and their practices? You know, I think, I think one issue is that because plastic surgery has just become so mainstream and, you know, everybody talks about it, everybody knows somebody that's done it, people, people naturally start to think that it's no big deal. And I think that there's some truth to that, some truth that our techn- technology has improved and our procedures have gotten better, so things are less invasive and recoveries quicker and all that sort of stuff. But it's still surgery. And no matter how good the surgeon is, there's still a pretty good chance that it's not going to come out perfect. And I always tell my patients, I try for perfect, but we never get perfect. And there's going to be some, there's going to be some subtle asymmetries or some subtle um, things that you don't like, but overall we're going to get as close to perfect as we can get. And I think that when you start seeing, you know, seeing these things on social media and television and people just think it's, you just go to a doctor, you go to sleep, you wake up and you're beautiful and everything's perfect. So I think that. No instant fix. What's that? I said no instant fix. No, I mean, but people think that. And, you know, for you and I, you know, who sort of know about this stuff, you know, we kind of can laugh about it. But what's interesting is that that people just don't realize the complexity of plastic surgery. So and then they expect and they expect everything to be perfect and they don't understand why 
you tell them it's not going to be, per- you know, it's not going to be perfect. So, you know, I think that's, that's a, that's one barrier. The other thing, which is, which is slightly shift in topic is as a plastic surgeon, we, we have a lot of other people trying to, you know, put their hand in the cookie jar. So there's other professions and other medical specialties that are trying to become cosmetic surgeons. So, you know, that's a constant battle that we fight where, you know, as a board certified plastic surgeon, you know, I just want people to practice within the scope of their training. So within, within, you know, five blocks of my office, I have dentists that are doing liposuction. I have eye doctors who are doing breast implants. I have gynecologists who are doing, doing tummy tucks. And you would think that the general public would be smart enough not to go to them, but not everybody is. And these guys are pretty busy. Well, yeah, just to confirm, you said an eye doctor that was doing breast augmentation surgeries? Correct. Yeah. That, I, mean, it, I don't see any natural fit there other than the eyes do view the breast. <laughs> it's like there's well, no other connection there. No, but but you know, at least in, you know, in the state of New York, um any doctor can perform what any procedures they want to do within the privacy of their own office. Obviously, that eye doctor is not doing breast implants at a hospital because they will never get hospital privileges for that. But if they're able to set up a, an operating room in their office and able to do this under local anesthesia, which a lot of people can, then there's really nothing illegal about what they're doing. And what they're doing is they're marketing themselves on the Internet, on social media as a cosmetic surgeon, which to, to the general person you know, cosmetic surgeon, plastic surgeon, hey, what's the difference? But but it's very different. And and so there's a big push within the state of New York as well as other states to try to either uh, mandate that, that doctors practice within their scope of training or at least if you can't prevent them, because, you know, you can't prevent someone from doing whatever they want to do to make a living. But so if you can't prevent them from going outside their training, they have to at least be forthcoming about their training on the internet in, in, you know, essentially truth and advertising. Involved. Yeah. Divulge and be upfront with those disclosures. Correct. I offer breast augmentations, but I'm trained as an MD in, um, ophthalmology or whatever they're. Correct. Cause what they, you know, what they're, what these, what these doctors are doing now is that they're just omitting that information from their website. So if you go to a doctor's website who's, you know, who does cosmetic surgery and you look in their bio and it doesn't say what they trained in and where they trained, there's usually a reason for it. It's because they don't want to tell you that they're, they're a cardiologist and now they decided they want to do liposuction. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that goes to the big point about, like you said, being upfront with those disclosures, communicating and educating the patients, your point about plastic surgery isn't perfect. Coming together on what the patient expectation is, what their potential genetic or physical limitations are, and matching as closely as possible so that the outcome they get, they're, they expect it and they're very happy with. And if they have just expectations that can't be met, sounds like you're up front and saying, you know, we can't do that. You can seek other second opinions or whatever, but not having uh, that bad will by convincing someone that, hey, do this expensive surgery and then being disappointed afterwards. Right. I mean, that's, that's one of the things when I teach my residents, um, I tell them the most important thing you can say is no. And it's easy to say, but, 
you know, yeah. it's fun to do coming out of training. And, you know, you, everybody has bills to pay. They're paying off, still paying off medical school loans. So you think that every person that comes to you for surge, requesting surgery needs to get an operation. Yeah. And we've all made that mistake where we did a surgery on someone who we knew looking back shouldn't have, we shouldn't have done the surgery because they were just never going to be happy no matter what you did. So it's really important, you know, when patients come to me in a consult, Yes, they're coming to choose, you know, decide who their doctor is going to be, but I'm also interviewing them. And I'm proud to say that about 25% of the people that come to me each day during my consult days, I say no to, whether it's because I don't think I can give them the result they want, or I think that I can give them the result, but they're still not going to be happy, or I just think they're just, something's not right about them. And that's where that, all that other non-medical stuff comes into play, where we have to, we have to really kind of read people's psyche and try to figure out, you know, whether they're the right patient for us. Yeah, that's a critical point. Like you said, it's, it's tough to, it's easy to say, but hard to implement when you've got huge overhead. A lot of surgeons I talk to over six figures in, you know, machine costs and equipment and the office and paying off that. So all of that uh, per monthly overhead. And you're thinking they, they came to you with, your marketing communications, so obviously there's that drive to do that surgery, but being able to say no and having that power and that integrity in your practice is, is a huge uh, thing. So, right, very cool to hear that uh, such a high percentage there that you have that integrity. And that might lead into the next point as to what do you feel Dr. Schulman has been the main driver for the growth of your practice? I you know, the majority of my patients come to me from either the internet or, you know, ironically, social media. Um, they're basically self-referred. So I find that about 85% of my patients found me on their own through their own research and then took the ne- next step and came to me. Um, and that's very different than it was 10 or 15 years ago. I mean, 10 or 15 years ago, if, if you wanted plastic surgery, you would ask your doctor or you would, you know, you you would ask your gynecologist, "Hey, I need a tummy tuck. Who do you recommend?" And it was all doctor to doctor referrals. And uh, I thought it was the big advertising budget. <laughs> so, so that, but so it's very different now. I mean, people are people are doing their own research. They're they're sitting down at the computer. They're they're typing into Google. They're you know they're looking for plastic surgeons in New York City, and then they're looking at the list, and then they're you know they're obviously there's more to it than just picking the doctor that comes up on the first page of Google, you know, despite what the SEO and internet people would like you to believe that's only part of it because yeah. people are smarter. They, the, you'll come up on the first couple pages, then they'll look you up even more and they'll go to five or six different sites that have reviews about you. And it becomes this whole web of, of internet sites, you know, all, everything interlinked. And by the time they get to the office, people really can't even figure out how they, you know, they can't even tell you how they found you. They just know they found you because they've been sort of bounced around so many places, you know, with your name. So, yeah. so that's the majority of my patients. Um, you know, so they come from the internet, they come from, you know, TV appearances, magazine, you know, magazine mentions. And then the other 15% is, is, is patient referrals, you know, patients that are happy that refer their friends and family to me. So, that's kind of what's happened with my practice. Um, and because I'm, it's just me, I'm the only, 
it's my own practice. It's just me. I'm the only one operating. I see every patient. I do everything. So I'm sort of get capped out at a certain point. You know, I'm as busy as I can be. So what I find is as I get busier, what happens is the wait list just gets a little bit longer. So, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of a, of a, a mixed blessing. Um, you want to be busy, but you don't want to be so, you don't want to be so busy that, that patients are waiting, you know, six weeks, eight weeks to see you for a consultation and then another four five, six months to get a surgery. Yeah, exactly. But you, you hit the nail on the head with the holistic communication strategy because Usually they'll start at Google, do a search, vet out the top few, and then your other point you mentioned it, they take a next step, either type your name or your um, practice name, usually both, and see what comes up. Are there any media appearances, media articles? What are the reviews? All of these factors on the checklist, and basically you've got to think of it like building your case for why they should choose you as the best fit over the other three or four or six or eight that they're looking for and have that communication strategy in place. It's not just being in the top 10 or top five in Google for certain keywords. Right. I agree. And, and I, and the other thing which I always find interesting is I find, I think that the doctor's own website is sort of the last line of defense. And I don't think that, I think people, by the time they really go to your own website and really go through your pictures and, you know, really get down and dirty on your website. I think their mind has already been made up that they're coming to you because they've already seen other more independent sites and more, more unbiased reviews about you. Yeah. That's almost the final confirmation to make sure there's nothing egregious that would cause them to say no at that point. And if there is nothing egregious, okay, it's time to pick up the phone and get the consult scheduled. Right. So, as we wrap this episode, Dr. Schulman, tell each listener where they can find out about you and what you're currently working on. Well, they can, um, they can always see me at my website, www.drschulmanplasticsurgery.com. And fitting with the topic of, of this talk, I'm very active on social media, so they can find me at Twitter or Instagram. And my, um, my name is NYC Plastic Surge. So they can, they can always find me on any of the social media platforms. Um, they usually will find information about me and my practice. And also the good thing is that since my patients are very active as well on social media, there's a lot of my patients in sort of a community that, that will, that will talk about me or talk about things they had done with me. And it's, so it's a very interactive group. So if anybody, you know, searches for me on Google or, or anywhere on the internet, they'll eventually be led to, to you know my patients who are active on social media as well now is that surge how you normally spell it with an e on the end or just s-u-r-g it's s-u-r-g surgery just wouldn't fit i didn't have enough letters so it's nyc plastic surge s-u-r-g gotcha and for your information listening we will include a link to dr shulman's website and those uh, social media links so you can just click right right on those on the show notes page for the episode so thank you for sharing these insights and uh, wisdom with us here today, Dr. Shulman. Uh, it's my pleasure. It was nice speaking with you. Yep. And Dr. Shulman and I want to thank you for sharing your time with us because we do know and respect that time is the only truly limited asset any of us as humans have. We live in an abundant world, but time is the one thing once spent. You can never beg, borrow, or steal it back. 
So we thank you for that. I'm Clint Evans, your host, and we'll see you on the next episode of Plastic Surgery Weekly.